welcome back to another episode of Still Good or Now. My name is Chris. And I'm Jess. And this is the podcast where we revisit movies from our childhood and see if they are still good or nah. Yeah. And like as Chris said in the last episode, is it good enough that if it comes on TV that you'll just keep the channel on? Yeah. It's the true metric of this whole podcast. Yeah. Do you leave, if, if it's on TV, do you leave it on or do you reach for the remote? It depends and, on how far the remote is away. Yeah. And when you do get the remote, how many more trash things are on TV for you to have to be like, this is probably the least yeah. trashiest one. <laughs> it happens a lot, actually. <laughs> it does. A bit too much. A bit too much. We do. We have Netflix and we have Stan at our fingertips and yet we just decide to watch whatever's on TV instead. And do you know why? It's because there's, A, since there's always been nothing on Netflix or Stan, or as soon as you remember something is on Netflix or Stan, it's already gone from Netflix or Stan. Yeah. But the main thing is that I don't want to have to choose things anymore. That's true. You, you, in some ways, you're spoiled for choice, even if that choice is generally not what you want to watch. But I just like the TV because even though there's ads, which are annoying, obviously, but I like not having to decide what to watch. Like, that's it. That's what's on. And sometimes there's movies that you wouldn't actually seek out and watch yourself. Yeah, you end up just watching it because it's on TV. It's the only thing on. You're like, I'm just going to watch it. Yeah, you were like, oh, I've been meaning to watch this. I might as well just watch it. Yeah, even if you're not even meaning to watch it, it's like, ah, I've seen Predator 1 four times already, you know, this month. It's like, I'll watch it again, sure, because it seems to be on every second day. Yeah, Harry Potter is always on and it's always the same movie that is the one. part two of the Deathly Hallows. (laughs) No, part one of the Deathly Hallows, sorry. I feel like it's always part one. Yeah. Um. Anyway. So this week we are going to be talking about the 2002 film Treasure Planet. Do you know anything about this film? Yes, I do. I remember that I watched it, but not in 2002. I think I watched it when I was, I think I watched it when I was maybe in my late teens. Mm -hmm. Do you reckon you watched it with your siblings? Do you reckon your siblings watched it? No. No. Is this you? Just me. Yeah. And then I remember, I think it could have been with you. I just remember watching it being like, why did I not watch this earlier? This is a great movie, but I don't remember anything about it. Yeah, I don't know if it was with me or not because I really can't recall the last time I've seen this movie. I've definitely seen it since being a kid, but that was, again, as we were saying before, it was probably just because it was on TV and I just kept it on. Um, But, yeah, so made in 2002, would you like to guess the Rotten Tomatoes score? I would like to say that it's probably higher than... The movies that we've been watching, so I'd say so. Maybe like a cheeky seventy six. Seventy six, close. It's a sixty nine. It's a cheeky sixty nine. Even um, cheekier. And the IMDb score. Seven out of ten. Seven point two out of ten. So yeah, oh. it's quite highly highly rated. Um, do you know any of the cast that are involved in this film? I want to say Joseph Gordon Levitt. Is he in it? Yeah. Okay. He is. Cool. Yep. He plays the main character. Or he yeah. voices the main character. So yeah, people who don't know, this is an animated film. Anyway, yeah. So Joseph Gordon-Levitt does voice the main character, Jim Hawkins. Yeah. I feel like I watched this when I was probably a late teen to early 20 because I, I, I definitely remember being like, oh my God, jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Like I never knew that he was a part of this movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I... I'm very sure the first time I watched it, I would have had no idea who Joseph Gordon-Levitt was. Maybe the second time is when I picked up on that. But, yeah, I actually didn't really realise that was he was in it. Um, 
Some of the other cast include Martin Short hmm. from Things. <laughs> he's, from, um, he's from Arrested Development. Martin Short. No, that's not Martin Short. Oh, that's Martin Sheen? No. No, it's not Martin Sheen either. <laughs> Which um, one's Martin Short? Martin Short. Is he not British? Uh, Martin Short's the one who's always doing stuff with- um, Oh, with Steve Martin. With Steve Martin, yeah. yeah. Okay, sorry. So, you know, Three Amigos, Father of the Bride, um, Santa Claus 3, <laughs> he plays Jack Frost. Oh, and he's in Dirty Rock as well. Yeah, probably, yeah. I feel I like that's he's... something he might do. Um, anyway, so yeah, he's he's in this. And you've also got Emma Thompson who's in this yes. as well. Nanny McPhee. Nanny McPhee herself. And- the only other person that I think would be really somewhat known, I guess, to us is not by name, but David Hyde Park. No, sorry, David Hyde Pierce, and he is the um, he's the the second character from Fraser. He's the friend, uh, yeah. the friend from mm-hmm. Fraser, um, or Frasier. I don't know how it's meant to be said. I don't know. I think it might be Fraser because there's a guy that I knew in primary school whose name was Fraser. One of my friends, because she watched Frasier, she would always call him Frasier and he would get really pissed off. He's like, my name's Fraser. It's not Frasier. Frasier. And she would always call him Frasier. Um, Fun you, fact for you, of yeah, my childhood for you. That's a good, good fact. <laughs> um, do you want to give me your best rundown of the plot or would you like me to show you the movie poster first to give you um, some spur on some inspiration? I feel like I know what the movie poster is. Can I guess it first? Guess the movie poster. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character is in the foreground. Does he have a little blobby friend? Like the pink blobby Uh, friend? No, there is a pink blobby friend. Yeah. And I think he's on on a ship. Yeah, pretty much. And it's in the sky? One would assume Treasure Planet is in the sky. Oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) Um, Yes, but no, no, you're right. No, he is in, in the sky in some form. Yeah. Yeah, well, you pretty much nailed it. I'll just show you now for oh, sweet. listening at home. Um, I don't know any of the other characters. Yeah, well, they're just other people. You'll get to know them when we get to watch it. But, yeah, do you have any uh, idea what the plot is? No, I remember it being good, but I just don't remember it. I think it's, it is based off Treasure Island that's been remade a number of times. And this, is, this isn't even the first time they've done Treasure Island in space. Right. Does he have... A dad that's dead that he wants that. <laughs> yeah, pretty okay. much. I think he has a dead dad. I don't think the dad has much to do with this, but, yeah, I'm pretty sure his dad is dead. But he, like, looks through his things and he finds a mapped treasure planet. Mm, I don't know, but you could be right. So there is definitely a map. There's definitely a, a map that he finds that leads to treasure planet. Right. And that's basically it. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah. No, you are right. Do you Anything else you remember about the movie at all? <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, so. Is this Disney? Yeah, it is Disney, okay. yeah. So the main reason, I'll, I'll briefly touch on this now. The main reason that I wanted to, do, wanted to choose this film was because there's a quite interesting sort of backstory about how this was made, about how basically it completely killed Disney's animation studio and almost sort of bankrupted the whole 2D animation industry Whoa. for Disney. Yeah, I think maybe the reason why I wasn't watching this was because I was more of a Pixar gal growing up. Yeah, and that, honestly, that that does play a part in this as well. So it's quite interesting sort of this is, this movie is almost at an end of its era sort of thing. And it was, 
yeah, it very well killed the 2D hand-drawn cel-shaded animation style, which has essentially been dominating Disney. It's like it was Disney's whole structure of films for the last 60 years. So, yeah, anyway, um, I'll get into that more later because it's a very interesting story. But um, but anyway, so, yeah, we're going to go away and watch this movie and, yeah, come back and tell you what we thought of the movie. And, yeah, and I'll elaborate a little bit more about the sort of the history behind the making of it. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. All right. See you soon. Not see you soon. We'll be back we can't soon. see anybody because we're in the middle of a lockdown. Mm-hmm, yeah. But we're going to be out of it soon. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Yeah. All right. Back soon. Bye. Bye. Okay. So we've just watched the movie. We're back. And we're back. Um, do you want to go over what the what the plot of the movie was? The plot. Yes. Which is just Treasure Island in space. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Which is what you said at the at the start. Yeah. At the in the first part. Okay. So in summary, a kid is given a map, treasure map, to a planet that has a lot of gold. And so he his his science friend or his PhD friend gets a crew together and then they sail off to go to Treasure Island, but the crew is actually the notorious John Silver's crew and they're planning a mutiny to take over the ship so that they can go to Treasure Island. Uh, but there is a bit of a conflict because Jim and Silver become very close and so when they get to the planet... Would you say that Silver and that Jim seems to look up to Silver as somewhat of a father figure. Of course. That was that whole Goo Goo Dolls montage. That was all that what that montage was. And uh, there's a bit of conflict between Jim and Silver because Silver is trying to figure out whether or not he, like, wants the gold or wants to, like, keep this kid as, like, his friend. And they eventually find the gold, ends up being a booby trap that Captain Flint created. Yep. Yeah. And then... When the planet's about to blow up, Silver has the option of keeping a boat full of gold or saving Jim. He saves Jim. They get away and- In uh, return, Jim lets Silver Silver go. As a thank you, Jim lets Silver go because Silver's about to go to trial for being a pirate. And then Silver gives Jim some money because at the beginning, his mum's inn gets burnt down. So he gives the money to him so that he can get the inn to be rebuilt. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And then Jim becomes inducted in some sort of space Space cadets. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the end. That's the end. Wait, what's this? What's this? It's Treasure Planet. No. That's Treasure Planet. Would you like to do your still goods for this movie? I think the entire movie is still good. Yeah. Yeah. I like how they made Treasure Island space themed. Yeah. But it wasn't entirely like sci-fi-y space. It was still very... Would you say it was a combination of steampunk and, and space? I mean, I didn't think of it like that, but now I do. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they keep all the pirates traditional. They keep like the costuming quite traditional, but everything is in space. Yeah. It's, so. It is basically just Victorian era pirates in space. When you think of a spaceship, it's not a rocket ship. It is literally a wooden boat that is sailing through space. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. which yeah. I And think, they're yeah, not the, wearing space suits or no, anything. Yeah. It's except, all- for the, except for the, the doctor who 
it seems bizarre that he thought he needed one. Yeah. <laughs> at any point. Um, yeah. And it looks quite old as well. It looked very old. It looks like a deep sea diver's, like a 20,000 leagues under the sea sort of suit. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so yeah, uh, I think the whole look of it looks pretty great. I'm still a pretty big fan of the the way they sort of melded the 3D elements with the sort of 2D cel-shaded drawings. So I, I looked at the animation and design and one of the main goals for this movie was to get different mediums together and blend them in and make them look as seamless as possible so that it looks like one cohesive piece. And so uh, there were like three levels to these animations. It was traditional 2D, 3D character animation and CG generated environments. Hmm. Yeah. And so when you talk, what were you, what were you talking about before? So the scene that comes to mind for me is, I guess, towards mi- middle, middle of the movie where I think it may be during, it could be during the initial montage, but it's Jim sort of hanging onto the side of the ship and he's watching all the space whales swim, swim mm-hmm. by. Yeah. And you can tell that the space whales have been sort of 3D animated, but it just sort of the way it blends in with this sort of what looks like a CG generated, like a real nice looking sort of space background on top of that with these sort of clunky looking 3D whales. But the way that it, the way it all worked together was seen, yeah, really, I, I just feel like if they had just gone with the 3D route, it would have looked, it would have dated incredibly. Yeah, it would have looked sure. Now it would probably look really, really bad. But I think the way that they managed to sort of layer the, all the foreground was still hand-drawn and still really meticulously detailed, but then all the stuff in the background was able to be 3D animated, but in a more complex way that I don't think you could ever do in a sort of a 2D form. Yeah. If you watch Treasure Planet, I think you would you would definitely tell now what the 2D and 3D elements uh, but I think back then it was quite revolutionary technology for its time. Yeah, and I think you could definitely tell some of the shots. There's the one where um, Silver's looking for Jim, who's sort of just after Silver has kind of revealed himself to be the pirate and Jim's running away from him on the ship during the mutiny. There's a scene where uh, it's a point of view shot from Silver's view and he's looking around the kitchen. And then I remember looking at that shot being like, you can tell that that's being done like in a th- in a three D sort of software, it's not a two D because just the way the camera moves is just is just something that they couldn't do in the the traditional sort of Disney two D uh, style. Yeah, well, that's what I actually wanted to talk about. So during Tarzan, which was in nineteen ninety nine, they developed a technology called Deep Canvas. Did you research anything no. about this? So it's a process where they create a virtual like 360 degree set and then before they like stage and do the blocking of the scene, they like make the set and then they combine them with the traditionally drawn characters so that, and I quote, to achieve a painted image with depth perception. Like so when you were saying that Silver was moving around. Yeah, it was just, it was from his point of view, but just the way, because his eyes were obviously the, the point of view of the camera, yeah. the way it sweeped across, yeah, the environment was something that was just like they definitely couldn't have done that in the, sort of this traditional two D animation style that a lot of the rest of the film, yeah, so with sort of frames from, yeah, so with this deep canvas, it was supposed to be like live action, so it's just meant to mimic real camera movement. Yeah. So that's why huh. I think it was quite revolutionary for its time, the technology, because 
the way that they could do like those environment shots, like doing the bird's eye view and like flying yeah. through the cities and stuff. That's how they did it. It just would have been something that was either it would have been impossible to draw each individual frame or just would have been so expensive or taken so long that it just wasn't possible. Like it just wasn't uh, feasible. Yeah. Uh, but the the ship was actually um, entirely deep canvassed apparently. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Going back to what you were saying before about like the 3D and 2D sort of style. So the design was really specific for Treasure Planet. They operated on like this 70-30 law, which meant that the design should be 70% traditional and 30% sci-fi. So when you're talking about the whales, I think that fell under like the 30% sci-fi that they yeah. We're allowing themselves. Whereas I guess the traditional Victorian era uh, pirate ships and stuff would have fallen under the 70%. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I can get that. Yeah. I think that's what is still good is that like what you were saying that if it was all entirely 3D, it would have been dated immediately by now, but it's still quite timeless, I guess, in the way yeah. that it had been animated. And like the fact that because Treasure Island was sort of like a storybook so they wanted to keep that element and like make it still look classic and illustrative and painterly and the fact that they kept that in it was nice that they could do that to link back to the original yeah. um island treasure island yeah did you want more facts about the animation yeah if you got some more facts we can yeah. go through this more facts so how many animators do you think there were in total Ooh, 30 40 40 oh, yeah yeah, yeah. How many were assigned to Jim's character? 10. 16. 16. And then how many were assigned to Silver? The rest of them. No, <laughs> just 12. <laughs> oh, okay. Because just, yeah, a little quickly back, I'm pretty sure Silver's arm is completely 3D. Yeah. Yeah, most of his body is 2D, but his arm is a 3D-ified effect. Yeah, when they were um, testing for Silver, they actually took a clip of Captain Hook and then they replaced his hook with the cyborg arm and that's how they were like figured out how do you to like cyborg John Silver. <laughs> As in they used the movements of Captain Hook? Yeah, or they, they just like modeled it off Captain right, Hook right. first. Yeah. yeah, I guess that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure the robot was fully 3D as well. There was this there was a sort of certain shots where yeah the robot seemed to have a bit more depth of like a bit more depth of field than any of the other characters that were in the scene. Yeah. So, because they actually experimented with Martin Short's voice, I guess they probably wanted to try to make him more robotic, but they decided against it and they decided to keep his natural voice because anything else would have affected his comedy, which I thought that was interesting. Yeah, because I guess a lot of it's in the way he delivers those lines. So. Yeah. He's not able to sort of deliver them in his natural tone. Yeah, which I think is was really smart by the producers and whoever was involved because, again, I think if they made the choice to make him robotic, it would have dated. Yeah, it would have lost a lot of that, yeah, a lot of his humour because yeah. when he's introduced to the audience, he sort of explodes onto the scene mm -hmm. with his erratic and sort of... Martin Short-esque. Martin Short-esque-ness. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, have you got anything else or do you want me to? Yeah, so John Ripper, 
or Riper, was the supervisor for Jim. He drew inspiration from James Dean for Jim because he was like a bad, bad boy. boy. Yeah. yeah. You felt the pain and youthful innocence. That was the quote. And Glenn Keane, who was the supervisor for Silver, didn't like to look at previous iterations of Treasure Island for inspiration because he didn't want to be stereotypical. Yeah, or inadvertently copy them subconsciously just yeah. because he'd, he'd viewed them. But he did like Wallace Beery, who played Silver in the 1937 version of Treasure Island because he liked the way that he spoke out of the side of his mouth. So he took that element from one of the earlier iterations of Treasure Planet. Treasure Island. Treasure Island. <laughs> Sorry. Why, Mr. Arrow, sir? Playing in such fine-looking distinguished gents to grace my humble galley. Had Do I you not- know if the whole daddy issue slash father figure thing I was no idea. in the original? Gun, so I have no idea. Which I, I liked that because... Yeah, I think it was a genuinely pretty nice moment. Like creating that type of conflict between two characters yeah. was quite nice. So apparently all of the... Um, acting and the voiceovers were done separately. So I don't think anyone was in the same room when they were doing the voice acting, Mm. except uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt requested to do it with Brian Murphy, who voiced Silver, like have him in the room and talk to him because he was having a lot of trouble trying to do it by himself and getting like that emotion. It would be hard to have it because you're essentially having a conversation with yourself and some other random person's just feeding you the lines from the from the other side of a sound booth. I wouldn't be a fan of that at all. That would be pretty hard to do, I think. No. But then having um a job as a voice actor would probably be a pretty sweet deal if you get I used to it. I don't know if it. it would be. I think it sounds all pretty kind of awful, to be honest. Well, I'm you only see going- clips of people doing voice acting and it's like, okay, can you do the line again? Now just a little bit higher. Now can you do it in a different way? And they do the same line like 40 times. And then, That's then true. Then they're just like, okay, cool, next line. And you're just like, ah, you got to do the same line again 40 times. But, yeah, besides yeah. that. I guess because, yeah, you're not interacting with people. But the only reason why I thought it was good was just because um, Emma Thompson, who plays Captain Amelia in this. Mr Arrow, I've checked this miserable ship from stem to stern and as usual, it's spot on. Can you get nothing wrong? She was happy to do the part because she was pregnant at the time and she was just happy that, like, she didn't have to do any of the stunts. <laughs> she could just sort of sit down and <laughs> yeah, do her lines. Yeah. yeah, well, in that case, yeah, that's a, a good reason to do the role. But, yeah, she was really good in this as well. Mm-hmm. I appreciated her character. Yeah, it was It was only Emma Thompson and David Hyde Pierce who were offered the roles that, that they played. Oh, the rest of them had to audition for the yeah. roles? Even Martin Short? There's not that much info about Martin Short, that, yeah. or I just didn't research it. <laughs> I, I didn't get all this information off Wikipedia and the Disney wiki at all. No. No? No, you didn't. Is that all? Do you have anything else? Uh, no, I don't have anything else. But I just thought that a lot of the decisions that were made in terms of the animation were really smart because even now, even though like some of the things now you can kind of tell are a bit, Dated. It's not as much if they had chosen to go one animated style or the other. Yeah, I think it was smart to blend the two together because 3D was still a fairly new technology at the time. There had been, obviously, Toy Story had come out, which had kind of changed the game in terms of a movie that could be entirely 3D animated and not hand-drawn whatsoever. But even, even watching Toy Story now the look of that has dated considerably, especially yeah. when you compare it to, say, Toy Story 4, because 
in a way, Treasure Planet came out at the end of the pretty much an end of an era for 2D animation. It was sort of it was at the pinnacle of 2D animation, but at the start of 3D animation. So sort of anything from that point onwards in 3D was always going to improve and get better. And it's still getting better today. It's continuing to get better and better and better and better and better. But 2D has sort of gotten to the point where like where it was. And even now it's still at that point. So it doesn't look like it's dated at all. But the 3D elements within that movie that even though they are layered really well in this movie, if they hadn't been, would have looked immediately outdated even a year or two later, I think. Yeah, for sure. And especially now. What are we at? 18 years later. Yeah. Allow me to handle this. I'm fluent in flatula, Jim. Did you want to go into a couple of your NARS just quickly? Did you have any NARS? Because my only NARS, what I sort of mentioned before, is just two of the songs have, uh, yeah. have really dated in terms <laughs> of the... Uh, the time of the early 2000s. And the fact that with those two songs, I'm pretty sure they used the whole of those two songs. It was very long. The yeah. montage was, was really long. I think it wouldn't have been as bad if they'd sort of cut it down to a brisk 15 seconds, but mm-hmm. it felt like two minutes, like a two-minute song. Yeah. All right. Uh, do you have any more Nas for this one? Nah, I don't. Oh, actually, um, the fact that a dog and a cat have babies together. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, that's, that, that is something we didn't didn't touch on at all. Yeah. Now that I think about it, is that in this in this world, there's that, only two humans in this world, and it's the mum and Jim. Is okay. No, that actually brings up another point, which relates to the point that I haven't brought up yet. Yeah. But. Is Long John Silver, is he a human or is he a weird animal? Because his nose is enormous. Oh, I actually don't know. Because he has, I, and so anyway, so what we're, what we're alluding to is that in this universe, in this universe, aliens obviously exist. So it's space, aliens, other worlds, other planets, blah, 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 blah. But all of them basically resemble animals from Earth. Yeah. Earth animals in humanoid form. So yeah, the so, captain is a cat. Yeah, and- uh, who was the guy? Uh, so Billy Do- Bones oh, yeah. was a snapping turtle. Yeah, Billy Bones was a snapping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah. He was a snapping turtle. Um, the doctor was like a dog. Yeah. Um, Doc Dob- Dobler was it? Doc Dobler. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so he was you know resemblance of a humanoid dog. Uh, um, that this group, which is like the the evilly crew member, is it a spider or a yeah, scorpion? Yeah, he's, he's like a weird and- sort of mix between a spider scorpion. He kind of also looks a bit like a lobster yeah. to me. <laughs> Uh, there was sort of an octopus man. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so they're all kind of weird variations of humanoid animals. Yeah, but that, that brings me to, I don't know if Long John Silver was meant to be human or if he was meant to be a weird animal. He yeah. kind of was like, he was kind of like a bear. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like a big hairless bear. Uh, he had an enormous nose, but he had really tiny ears, which I kept looking at being like, those look really strange. And like Captain Flint was, he was, no, I think he, he was like a spidery looking yeah, because he, he had, had six, six eyes. eyes. Yeah. So that that was strange, but yeah, just the fact that the dog, which is the Doctor Doppler and Captain Amelia, which is a cat, had babies together, and hey, they- Shrek did it. True, but that's a whole different <laughs> can whole- of worms. That- yeah, but that was before this. So mm-hmm. yeah, so like a dog and a cat have babies together, and they kind of helped the myth of like dogs are boys and cats are girls. I'm pretty sure they have like three, three- cat babies and they're girls. And one dog baby, and, and it's, it's a boy. boy. Yeah, but yeah, weirdly, their babies were either cats or dogs, not yeah. a weird hybrid of cat and dog. Yeah. Which, 
I think for the viewer, it was a blessing that they mm-hmm. made that decision. Thank you. Um, but yeah, it was also kind of kind of odd. But hey, look, yeah, I'll let it pass because it was a good movie. Yeah, I am grasping at straws for the Nas. Mm. Um, yeah, but just it's either a weird animal type thing or a robot. But there only seems sorry. I said two before three humans because the dad is a human. True, but we, we yeah we never see because I really expected the dad to come back in a way. Even when I rewatch this now, I was just like, does the dad come back in some sort of way? Because you know you never see his face. He yeah he leaves so unexpectedly. He's always in like the background of that uh, that memory. I was just like, oh, it's gonna gonna turn out the dad was actually you know maybe he was on Long John Silver's crew and he died or something. Right? But yeah. No, nah, he just doesn't come back at all. Um, yeah. I really, now that I think it was, yeah, anyway, I was going to speculate that maybe he was part of the sequel, which I, I think maybe they were going to weave him in somehow. Mm. Uh, again, grasping at straws, just the fact that the mum who owns an inn wore a barmaid's outfit when she really didn't need to. She's a bus, so she could have worn like a suit if she wanted to. But she I don't has know. to serve drinks and weird food, which were just like worms and things like that. I know, but she always looks so disheveled. And I know that that's because she had a rebel of a son, but you know, wear a better outfit. You're, 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 you, you own an inn. Be proud of that. Be a bus lady. Okay, that, if that's, that's if, my- <laughs> if that's all you've, if that's all you got, I'll, I'll take that as a bit of a win. Yeah, I don't think I have any more. That was very, very, very particular critiques that I only picked up on because there's not that much to say not to. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about the backstory of this film and kind of how it got made. How do you feel about that? How about that? No, I'm doing it anyway. Cash me a side, how about I'm that? doing it anyway. So a lot of this information came from a really great article on Polygon by, and there's no way I'm going to pronounce his name right, but it's Petrana Radulvlik or something around those syllables. So the, the directors, plural, were Ron Clements and John Musker. So... I hadn't heard of either of these two people before. Me either. Um, but they were the, the director and screenwriting duo, which were behind The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, and Hercules around that time. So they they pitched Treasure Planet to, to Disney as early as 1985. So they pitched it in the same meeting as they did Little Mermaid. So they're like, so they went to the, the CEO at the time, and the, his name was Michael Eisner, and there was a studio chief called Jeffrey Katzenberg. So they're in a meeting and they're like, Jeff, Michael, we've got this awesome idea. It's Treasure Island, but it's in space. And they're like, eh, nah, I don't like that. And let's get the movie with the kid in a bra. Let's get the movie. <laughs> well, no, actually, no, they didn't. Um, so, so they're like, nah, we don't want to do that because Star Trek is making a film, a second Star Trek film, which has got a Treasure Island angle to it. So oh, we don't want to seem like we're copying that. that film. And so like, ah, oh. and they're like, what else do you got? And we're like, well, we've got this film about a kid in a bra. <laughs> <laughs> we've got this film called The Little Mermaid. And they're like, no, we don't want to do that either because we are releasing, we have just released a film called Splash. Oh, uh, with Tom Hanks? Tom Hanks. So I didn't realize that was a Disney property as right. well. So that was. But that's live action. So yeah, so they didn't want to do Little Mermaid either because of Splash, which came out in 1984. Yeah. And so that was, I didn't actually realize that was a Disney film that was. When I looked it up, it was released by Touchstone Pictures, but it turns out that's a subsidiary of Disney anyway. And that was actually their first live action film under that Touchstone banner. Anyway, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, because when I looked up on 
Wikipedia on, because I was trying to look up all of the Walt Disney films and they had like the keys for L was live action and then A was animated. And like the amount of live action stuff that they did against animated stuff is like much more surprisingly, which I didn't know. Yeah. I don't know if it's to do with they could sort of potentially pump those out a lot quicker than animated ones because I guess they at the time were all hand-drawn and would probably take a lot longer. But, yeah, anyway, so actually in that initial pitch meeting, both of those films were cut down. They're like, no, we're not doing either of those films. Come back again later. But then later that day, uh, either Ron or John, I don't remember which one, got a call from um, the studio chief, Jeffrey Katzenberg, and he's like, actually, can can you give us a little bit more pitch on that mermaid idea? Um, it sounds like it actually could be good. So lo and behold, Little Mermaid got greenlit, which obviously was an enormous success and basically, you know, just printed money for Disney for, for the next decade and, and onwards. Um, so after, sorry, what were you going to say? I know, I was just going to be like, and what did Splash do for Disney? I don't think <laughs> I don't that know. much. I've never, I've never seen it. Which we didn't even know that it came out in the same year. Yeah, well, it just come out a year before that, um, before they tried to pitch Little Mermaid. So in around, say, 1990-ish, so after Little Mermaid had come out, enormous success. They had a bit of bargaining power now because they were they were successful within the Disney animated studio. Uh, they tried to pitch it again, and Jeffrey Katzenberg is like, nah, we're not doing this. I don't like the idea. Stop pitching it. And they're like, ugh. So after they tried to pitch it again, Aladdin comes out. So they are the directors, screenwriters, producers of Aladdin. Enormously successful again. Aladdin actually made an enormous amount of money. So, sorry, just quickly going back to Little Mermaid. So, they were the director, screenwriter, producer, blah, blah, blah. Triple threat. Triple threat. threat. So, budget for Little Mermaid, $40 million. Box office, $233 million. Huge success. Enormous success. 1992, Aladdin comes out. Director, producer, triple threat. Uh, $28 million budget, $500 million box office. Wow. Huge, enormous, okay. like probably one of the, their biggest success at the time. Um, so coming off the coattails of that enormous success of Aladdin, they're like, Jeffrey, please, we really, really, really want to make Treasure Planet. Please let us make Treasure Planet. And he's like, fuck off. Stop pitching me <laughs> Treasure Planet. I'm not going to let you make it. And like, Ugh. all right. So then they make Hercules. Again, enormous success, 85 million dollar budget, $250 return. Still $250. $250 return. <laughs> Not great about the, the price of a bucket of, bucket of popcorn. Yeah. Um, sorry, $85 million budget, uh, $252 million return. box office. Not yeah. return. Not as big a success, but still a profit in the eyes of the accountant. Anyway, so- they pitch it again after Aladdin being like, Jeffrey, please. Like we've been, we've been giving you hit after hit after hit. Like just trust us. Let us make Treasure Planet. And he's like, no, you're not making Treasure Planet. I'm not greenlining this. So they're like, fuck you. And so basically they were super frustrated with Jeffrey Katzenberg and they went, all right, we're just going to go over your head and we're going to go straight to Roy E. Disney. I think it's Walt Disney's son or nephew who was then chairman of the Disney company. So they went to him. They're like, Roy we have this project. We've made you millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. Would you please let us make this project? And Roy E. Disney was like, yeah, I will actually, I will, I will help you make this project. So the, the two reasons why basically he wanted to help uh, John Musker and Ron Clements make this film was that he sort of had a bit of a soft spot for passion projects. So there was a movie called Fantasia, which you yes. may or not be aware of. Fantasia 2000. Uh, Dancing Broomsticks. It's kind of scary. Yeah, it's uh, Mickey Mouse and he has, is a wizard. Yeah, 
Uh, so that was that was um, Roy E. Disney's. That was his passion project, right. and that wasn't a commercial success. That was mm-hmm. uh, a bit of a failure in the eyes of the money man. So that was the first reason why he wanted to help him out because he could sort of see that you know these guys are really passionate about a project, and he could sort of relate to that because of Fantasia. And the second reason was that he fucking hated Jeffrey Katzenberg. He thought he was the biggest <laughs> really? dog. Yep. And he didn't really much care for Michael Eisner either, who was the then CEO, who he would later on after the events of all this would sort of essentially boot him out of the CEO position at Disney. Disney, guys, I'm interested now. So, yeah. So after they went to Roy Disney and got him on his side, um, in the following year, their, their contracts at Disney were about to expire. So Disney is like, guys, we want you to stay at Disney. Like, what's it going to take for you to stay at Disney? Because we know you've got offers from DreamWorks, from Warner Brothers Animation. So what was DreamWorks making at the time? <coughs> like, what were DreamWorks making at the time that they were being headhunted? Nothing, because they had just started because Jeffrey Katzenberg, the guy who originally didn't want them to make the film, left Disney to start DreamWorks with Steven Spielberg. Whoa. Yeah, so Steve, I didn't actually realise. So Steven Spielberg is the co-founder of DreamWorks with Jeffrey Katzenberg, who left Disney to start it with Spielberg. My goodness. And so that guy was trying to headhunt the the, the Yeah, because he understood that they had talent. He just really didn't want to make Treasure Planet. (laughs) He really didn't want to make Treasure Planet. But Disney were like, you know, guys, we really want you to stay at Disney. What can we do to make you stay at Disney? And they're like, it's pretty pretty fucking obvious. We've been been trying to get this movie made for uh, over a decade. Let us, we'll stay if you let us make Treasure Planet. And they're like, okay, yeah, no worries. So, so yeah, so basically it was more or less greenlit in 1995, came out in 2002 and unfortunately was met with, although good reviews, a very dismal box office, which unfortunately killed the, uh, killed the plans for a, a sequel and television series. Oh, I didn't know there was a television series. Yeah. So I quickly touch on potentially why it didn't do super well. It opened up against Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, which Pottermania was was hot. It was big. Oh, it was yeah. huge. I, I was a part of that Pottermania. Yeah. So I have a diary, a Harry Potter diary, and I used to write to Harry. That's how much I loved Harry Potter. So besides <laughs> <laughs> um, I was seven. Were we only seven when that came out? I think oh. so. Well two thousand and two. Hmm. So yeah, open next to Harry Potter Chamber of Secrets. So the the much anticipated follow-up film to the enormous success of The Philosopher's Stone. So so yeah, it was already opening up against a very strong movie, which I guess if you're a parent taking your screaming kids to a film, you're gonna go like, let's see Harry Potter, let's not see this other one, which I don't even know anything about, which doesn't relate to anything. Um, I'll scare the shit out of my kid with that basilisk that comes out of the water. True. In, in hindsight, they probably should have gone and seen Treasure Planet. Um, so, yeah, so that obviously didn't help. Yeah, and when you look back on that year as well and the Oscar nominations for Best Animated Feature, which we talked about before, um, Lilo and Stitch came out that same year. Ice Age came out that same year. Yeah, so Lilo and Stitch, which is also another Disney property, um, that's kind of like the, I guess it's the exception to the argument that audiences were sort of getting a bit tired of the whole 2D, 2D animate, 2D sort of Disney shtick of animations, like the coming of age story of, you know, uh, a troubled youth who has to overcome things to, to find the true hero who he is, 
he is who he's always been inside himself. Because honestly, that's most Disney stories to a T. It's a it's a coming in a coming of age story of a relatable character who's put into a, a foreign situation. Yeah. And I think if you're a parent or if you're a kid, what would you rather see? Like a kid coming of age on and it's like a pirate story, or do you want to see like a little blue alien running around that you've never seen before and or like if you're watching ice age like cute fluffy animals on your screen and like the cutest little baby which one would you want to see those ones probably well yeah and it's pretty much that so lilo and stitch uh to the audience was pitched as this wacky strange alien comedy you know a blue alien crash lands in on hawaii um is picked up by you know by a sort of a lonely lonely little girl who's just sort of looking for a friend and stuff like that which yeah no it's it's, it's a great movie as well and it's it's really good um whereas i think treasure planet on the surface when and we we just watched the trailer before it doesn't it didn't really sell itself as to what it was and it just kind of came across as another sort of generic troubled teen rises up to be the hero he he always knew he could be and all that sort of stuff you know his, yeah. his dad walked out on him and all that sort of stuff it's like it's pretty standard disney uh disney beats but it's just a shame because that's that really takes a backseat to, the, I guess, the other things that really shine in this movie. Yeah, and I just feel like that type of storyline is more adult. I think adults would have appreciated that more than kids. Like I just don't think a kid would really understand why this kid is taking a liking to this gross cyborg man. Mm. I guess another thing that is probably a bigger reason as to maybe why it didn't quite do as well, which if you forget about Lilo and Stitch coming out in the same year, which it still did quite well, it still made a lot more money than Treasure Planet did, or made a lot more profit, sorry, not actually box office, but audiences are sort of growing used to this idea of having fully, you know, 3D CGI animated films. So things like Toy Story had come out, so Pixar's Toy Story, Monsters Inc. had already come out. So they're already kind of used to this new 3D new era new of era of animation, animation which was just like I guess would have been you know quite mind blowing at the time and then also which had just come out was Shrek in 2001 which uh. which DreamWorks's first um, animated film which it kind of makes sense now that now that I've done the research and seen that DreamWorks was founded by I guess an ex Disney in Jeffrey Katzenberg that Shrek really kind of it kind of oozes that like cynical Disneyness that Disney was all about. Like the whole thing of Shrek is kind of making fun of all those old folk tales like Cinderella, um, Rapunzel, Three Little Pigs, all that sort of stuff. That whole thing is kind of a bit tongue in cheek of how kind of stupid. Like Shrek is kind of just like over. Like he, he essentially lives in Disneyland. Yeah, and Shrek is just kind of over that whole thing, and it's I find it kind of hilarious that the co-founder of DreamWorks came from Disney, and it almost seems like a bit of a subtle, not so subtle. Now I think about it, jab mm. at kind of what Disney had been producing for I guess the last thirty or forty years. So yeah, so off off the back of a terrible box office, it unfortunately cancelled the the upcoming sequel and proposed television series. So the idea was that this was probably like a lot of Disney films at the time, like Aladdin and things they would. You know, the first one would come out in the cinemas, but then generally they would have sequels, which would just be direct-to-video sequels. Um, so they, there was a planned sequel already, which was already in early development. So it was going to be Jim Hawkins and his new love interest, Kate, who was a classmate at the Royal Academy, must team up with Long John Silver to stop the villainous Iron Beard from freeing inmates of Botany Bay Prison Asteroid. And uh, Willem Dafoe was already cast to voice that of Ironbeard, the Damn, villain. Damn, that would have been good. Which sounds really good. So, yeah, it's a real shame because that kind of sounds 
Yeah, that sounds really good. And although I don't think Treasure Planet was sort of setting up for a sequel, I still feel like there would have been a lot of room for these characters to grow again. It would have been kind of cool to see, I guess, Jim Hawkins in a, in his sort of newfound confidence and new role as a, a sailing pirate man. Mm, and seeing that established relationship between Jim and Silver. Yeah, as and well. coming, coming up against like, you know, who Silver was kind of the kind of the bad guy in Treasure Planet. Um would like yeah misunderstood well no he was kind of the bad guy but then coming up them teaming up together to sort of face like a definite evil of a bad guy I thought would have been a really cool cool thing but anyway alas we didn't we didn't get that um do you think as well what may have um deterred people from seeing it was maybe the animation was too complicated because it was 2d and 3d and cg combined i don't know as of this moment, no one knows and no one's really ever going to know. It just, yeah, I think it's a real product of its time. And I think, unfortunately, it just, it just came out at the wrong time. If it had come out 10 years earlier, it might have been a huge success. But as one of the directors said in an interview a bit more recently, he sort of said that he's glad in a way that it came out when it did because it allowed them that uh, that ability to use these that emerging technology of 3D animation and sort of bring the vision that they had in their mind to life in, I guess, the most accurate form that they could whereas if they were being able to make it back in 1985 it would have been a vastly different movie the technology wouldn't have been anywhere close to that and it, even though it may have been really successful he still said that he doesn't believe that they would have been able to achieve i guess the real vision that they had for this movie because of the time that it was made in so yeah it's it's a shame but i guess he's still proud of the movie that was made and yeah, by the all accounts still loved yeah it. and by all accounts it's still a, it is still a good movie and it's just a shame that it it came out, I guess, in a in a sort of a transitional period of Disney and a transitional period of animation and film, um, and it was just sort of lost in that, yeah, in that time. And it's just a shame that that caused it not to sort of continue on. Because I guess if this had been a huge success, I reckon it would have it would have definitely skewed where Disney then went on with the rest of their sort of animation, yeah, like their their catalog. Because I guess they're very much a company that once they sort of get a success, they continue on that path until until the money dries up and unfortunately it dried up at Treasure Planet and that was sort of the end, end of that. Which is very unfortunate because it is still a very beautiful movie and as you said, if they had made it in 1985, you know, in the 1980s, they wouldn't have been able to get that sort of, those sort of fantastical elements in 2002, like the way that they made space and like the the city on the moon mm. as well. And I think all of those were CG or 3D. But imagine, you know, back in late 1980s, that would all still just have been hand-drawn yeah, and wouldn't would have, have the same effect. Nah, it wouldn't have been even close to the same sort of, yeah, scale and scope that it kind of had. Um, but, yeah, I, that's sort of, yeah, that, that's all I had to say about the backstory of that. Um, I don't know. Did you have anything else you wanted to add to that? Cause I- no. I didn't know that any of this happened and yeah, it is really unfortunate that it had to happen to this particular film, but you know, it's still got an Oscar nomination. Still, yeah, exactly. It's still, it's still good. It's still, it's still good. Good today. Um, yeah. So that's, that is my verdict. Still good. Mine too. Still good. I think if you had seen it as a kid, I think it would be worth revisiting it now because I feel like, as I said in the first part, I don't think I watched it until I was a teen or like late 19, 20 year old. And I really enjoyed it because I had no expectation about it. And I just feel like if I was a kid, I just don't think I would have been as enamored by it as I was 
when I was older and I appreciated all like the visuals and the story a lot more. So if you had seen it as a kid and you don't remember it, go watch it again. Yeah, no, I definitely think I, I'm under the impression I probably watched it when it came out on, you know, on video, but um, yeah, no, I definitely recommend it. If you, if it's on TV, leave it on and, mm-hmm. and keep watching it. Or if you've got Disney plus, um, put it on your, on your watch list. Yeah. Right. So I think that's the end podcast. This episode. This do you, episode. Do you want to tell us, tell us, do you want to tell everyone what we're going to do next week? Because next week is our choice. Yes. And we have decided to watch Inspector Gadget. 1999's Inspector Gadget. I'm actually, (laughs) Did you ever watch Inspector Gadget 2? Because I didn't. Because I'm I'm fairly certain that one came out direct-to-video and I never saw it. But this one came out in the cinemas. I reckon there was a good chance. uh, I liked. Nah, I reckon I saw it from, probably from video, but. Yeah, no, I'm I'm looking forward to this because I have not seen this in so long, in the longest time. Yeah, going back to Inspector Gadget 2, I'm pretty sure I remember liking that one more than Inspector Gadget. Well, but we can talk about that next week. Do you think that was because one. the, the uh, antagonist was a female Inspector Gadget? I don't remember it. I just remember liking it more <laughs> than the first one. All right, yeah, we're going to do Inspector Gadget. Yeah. That'll be good. Um, with Matthew anyway, Broderick. With Matthew Broderick. It's not him. Isn't it? No. <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, no, because the second one's not Matthew Broderick. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Hang on. Who is I this was second? trying to make a joke, but oh. <laughs> it's actually him. Yeah, no, the second one is. Uh, yeah, so no, I did. Yeah, I, I remember I liked the second one more. It's French Stewart. We'll, ah, talk, yeah. about, we'll talk about this in the next. Yeah, no, I, that's what? right. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's so weird. All right, yeah, so we're going to watch uh, Inspector Gadget next week, so please um, yeah, tune in tune in next week. Um, if if you'd like to follow us, you can follow us at Still Good on Nah on Instagram, and if you'd like to email us for any reason with any su- suggestions or movies we should watch or things we should improve on, um, yeah, it's stillgoodonnah at gmail.com. Yeah, and um, we got a Twitter we got a as Twitter. well. It's still completely blank, but we've got a Twitter. We're on the twits, which is, again, Still Good on Nah. So and yeah. I think, like we say, a lot of the time, if you want to find us, just at Still Good or Nah, yeah, on whatever platform you're trying to find us at. We're probably on that, except for Facebook, because no one uses yeah. Facebook anymore. No. I'm sick of it. <laughs> I just really want to add in my life. I'm, I'm so Do over it. it. But, um, yeah, no, thank, thank you for listening. If, yeah. um, if you enjoyed this and you know anyone else in your you know, in your immediate vicinity that you could recommend it to, please do, because that's pretty much the only way that this gets out here. We don't really bother promoting it in any in any sort of way so yeah if you have someone who you think would enjoy this please yeah recommend it to them that'd be great it's because yeah we'd really love to get some more people listening yeah and if you have any comments or feedback or nice positive affirmations that <laughs> you can tell us at this very trying time uh maybe don't give us any critical uh feedback because i'll just cry in a corner and yeah we don't need that <laughs> <laughs> there's enough stuff going on that we don't need anything more like that but anything yeah. positive would be great yeah we're I've, all about positivity yeah um and thank you to the listeners, which are pretty much just our family and friends at the moment, who have been avidly listening and who have been commenting. Our greatest supporters. Yeah, we really appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's been great. This so, is for you. This is for you. This is this is your shout out. We're <laughs> shouting you out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, thank you for listening. And, yeah, we hope you tune in next time. Okay. All right. Bye.